0: We'll be in Exodus thirty-five tonight. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Exodus thirty-five. Back in seventeen seventy-six. Just kidding. We won't go. We won't go there tonight. With a combination of the sore throat lozenge and the water, I should be able to make it through. And I did this, so I can turn away because of my disgusting experience on Sunday. Where I had to snort with that microphone on, and I apologize for amplifying that. Um, with the reinforced sound um, this might help a little bit so that's why we're doing this mic here not that you care but that's why we're doing things a little different um, a lot of questions about what's going on today and all and and, uh, and I, I don't want to get too much into it I think we need to let things settle a little bit before we start making proclamations and judgments and things like that but um, I do want you guys to know something as a pastor because that's what God's called me to be—not a political pundit or anything like that. Um, although I do pretend yeah, I play one on TV. Um, you guys, I want you to know this because I know that sometimes there can be a lot of anxiety and wonder about what's happening in the world, and and uh, and, and it checks us a little bit with our faith, and that's a good thing, always a good thing. Um, you are well prepared. Um, you have had a steady diet of God's word for years. You have the Word of God in your hand. Um, You have a God that is on your side and on your team, and you are going to fall on the right side of things when everything goes down because you're with Jesus Christ. So know that in your heart. Um, You have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you every step of the way, every single day. Um, You are more tuned in than anybody in the world. You are more secure than anybody in the world you are more blessed than anybody in the world and know that in your heart and let that peace of God and knowing who it is that fights for you, knowing him and that he's on your side, let that bring you peace. I just want you to have that tonight. Not not that you don't, but if there's anything I was going to say about things going down, that's the one thing because, um, we've had moments in time like this, you know, um, I think in the 60s, I think of the Kent State shootings, and you think of different things going on that were like, I can't even believe this is happening. And this is so far. I'm not saying this is the same as that, but um, I do know that as Christians, we need to be grounded and steadfast and be the ones with answers because we stand upon a rock. And this is exactly the kind of storm that knocks people who have built their houses on sand off its foundation. But we don't have that foundation. We have the foundation of Jesus Christ, and we stand upon that. And so whatever storm comes our way, we put our face right into it. When we praise the Lord and trust in his strength, and he will give us answers for those around of us that don't have those answers. This is a wonderful opportunity for us. So I hope you take that home with you tonight and be blessed. Because this chapter, I was really looking forward to up until around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I saw some guy hanging from the balcony in the Congress. What in the world? All right. Good job, guy. How did you get in? Um, Chapter 35 is a beautiful moment in Israel's history that greatly reflects our New Testament relationship with Jesus Christ and the church. Sometimes we have that idea that there's an Old Testament God, a New Testament God, or there's a little bit of a difference in personality or what he shows us at least, what side of him he shows us. And there is. I think that's true. Um, if you don't read Revelation, you, 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 you know. Um, but if you do read Revelation, you get the full picture of, of the Lord. But this chapter 35, it shows um, the personal relationship that the nation of Israel had with their God, the loving relationship they had with their God. It was a voluntary relationship that they had with their God, which is what we have in in Jesus Christ. It's all voluntary. He lets us make choices. He lets us make decisions. How close do you want to walk with him? How much do you want to read his word? How much time do I want to spend in prayer? That's all up to us. He's always available in his word. He's always listening with his ear. And he's always going to be our strength and stronghold if we'll let him, but that's up to us. It's always in our hands, and so we see that here in chapter thirty-five, and we've studied this several times, and um, it's it's the beginning of the building of the tabernacle. They had to get the things together for it. You know, um, they just got done doing some horrible things with the gold and the silver that they received from Egypt, that they took out of Egypt as plunder, as back payment for four hundred years of slavery. And they've been using that in in a wrong way. And this is an opportunity for them to use it in a right way. And I think considering what happened today, it really does help us all to focus. where, Where is my treasure? We sang a song just now that says, that's all I need is you. And it's interesting to find out what it's going to be like when all we have is him. And we don't have the things that we've trusted in all along. One of my favorite things to watch um, on those little videos that you can see on Facebook or YouTube is when they launch a ship. You ever watch those with those big, sometimes it's an inflatable thing, you know, the inflatable uh, donuts that they roll up, and all of a sudden they just let this ship roll off into the water. I mean, (laughs) you know, everybody's going, boy, I hope, I hope it stays up, and it hits that water and there's a big splash, and all of a sudden there it is, bobbing up and down in the water like it's supposed to. Now, the engineers probably had no doubt, but the welders might have been wondering, I don't know about this, you know. Was Bob uh, okay that day when he when he welded on that last plate? A lot of things supported that ship as they were building it and getting it ready. But the designer knew, the workman knew, if everybody did their part and everybody did what they were supposed to do, when it came time to float that boat, it was going to work, you know. And I think today is one of those days where, as we see something didn't, didn't topple today. But boy, we got kind of close to something toppling over that we'd kind of just taken for granted. That's just always going to be there. I mean, that's just always how it has been in my life. And I've grown up with this and I planned on dying with this, whatever that is, freedom, liberty, uh, strong, solid government, whatever. But God has prepared us through his word. You, I mean, we hopefully we know this. We, he's prepared us for having none of that. And to rely completely and only on him through whatever circumstances come our way. And for me, it was one of those days where I kind of felt like, oh, we're getting launched today as Christians. The things that we're supporting us, the things that we kind of trusted in, the things we'd hoped for. We knew we had a bigger purpose and a, a more intentional existence than just walking around and collecting Bible studies on Wednesdays and Sundays. But today I saw something a little different. I thought, "Well, well, here we go. And I felt myself rolling into the water, you know, and I'm going to float and we're going to be fine. And we're going to save a lot of people in the process. But it does make you take inventory. You know, where is my treasure? Have I been building golden calves? Have I been using the things that God has blessed me with for things that just really don't matter? You know, am I considering building bigger barns like the guy, the rich guy who died that night? You know, one of the uh, proverbs or one of the teachings that Jesus gave. You fool, didn't you know this night your life would be required of you and you were planning on bigger barns kind of thing. It's, it just got, got me thinking. And then this chapter comes up, and I am still excited for this chapter, but kind of in a different way for me personally. It says, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. That's that's how he starts this chapter, which is awfully harsh, you know. When you read it on face value, it's like, really, just for mowing your lawn or just for doing work or just for, you know, you're going to... Not like be sanctioned or be fined or have to offer up a sacrifice of a goat. No, there is nothing left. There's no sacrifice to be made for this transgression. You've got to die. Got me to thinking. Well, this must be pretty important, you know. And some people take it like that, just literally on Sundays or Saturdays, which is the seventh day. Technically, you best stop me doing anything. In fact, some people build a whole denomination around that one law, that one rule. Now, they don't put people to death, so they're really not, you know, into it that much. But I got to thinking, why is this so important? Well, it's so important because the Sabbath rest, the Sabbath day, the the time when God says, I want you to stop working is designed to reflect our relationship with Jesus in the sense that we've worked for salvation our whole lives, and then when we come to Christ, there is no work to do for salvation. And if anybody thinks they can get to heaven based off their works, you can plan on dying because you will not gain entrance to heaven. And so although a harsh reminder, they need to know that, and that needs to be a part of our good news is that the good news is you don't have to work for heaven, and the bad news of that is if you don't believe the good news and you try to work for heaven, you will not make it. It's not like you needed to jump a little higher or reach a little further, and if you are just that good enough, you might gain entrance without Christ. This section here in chapter 35 tells us there is no entrance into heaven outside of resting in the completed work of Christ at the cross which should bring us joy. If I look at this passage and say, boy, I really want to keep the law so that I'm in good graces with God, then it brings me sorrow because I know every time I try to do what I'm supposed to do or be the best or be perfect at any of the things God's asked me to do. I always fall short. I know myself. I fall short in study time. I fall short in quiet time. I fall short in my thought life and my anger by being in the flesh, I fall short. I know that about myself. So if I, anytime I read a law, I'm like, oh, this is going to (laughs) hurt. On the other hand, if I look at it for what it's meant to to be, what God intends it to be, is I want you to understand something that when you get to heaven or want to get to heaven, you're going to have to rest in what I do. I mean, it's that much of good news. Uh, I'm going to row this boat from uh, Maryland all the way over to England. I'm going to what? No, no, no. I want you to just sit back and have this iced tea, and I'm going to do the rowing, Jesus says. Oh, well, that's such a daunting task after all. That's kind of a, well, that's nice. I'm just going to sit here. It's like a cruise ship almost. God's going to get us there. God's going to take us here. I don't want you paddling. I don't want you hanging off the Princess Cruise Line, you know, kicking. (laughs) When the turbines are turning, it's okay. So the good news about this first section is God says, I desperately want you to take a break on the seventh day. I want you to rest. One of the passages is Hebrews chapter 4 that describes that rest that we have in Jesus, that Jesus is that final rest that everybody talks about through Scripture, David Uh, Moses, Abraham, all these people talk about this final day of rest. And Hebrews chapter 4 describes that rest to us. I'm not going to read it to you. You can read that on your own. But the writer of Hebrews tries to explain it to the Jewish nation that he is our rest now. He's what we've been waiting for. This is not a time for us to work harder. This is a time for us to rest in him and enjoy this free, beautiful grace that God has given us. It's not cheap grace, some people talk about that in other groups and circles in christendom but it's free you definitely can't pay for it you can't earn it it's got to be grace grace is not earned it's given and it has to be received from us and so we have this beautiful uh, opportunity to just rest in the completed work of christ and what he's done for us and so once he gets that settled He moves on in verse 4. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood. Oil for the lighting, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod, in the breastplate. This is not a tithe. This is an offering. There's a difference. The first, the tenth, all belongs to God. That's just out of gratitude for what He's done. Thank you for the ninety percent. That you actually thank you for the hundred percent. Here's ten percent back. That's what tithe is. This is not that. This is an offering. I want you to take from the children of Israel an offering of those who have a willing heart. It has to emanate from them. It has to come from them to me. It can't be a fee. It's never supposed to be a fee. It's supposed to be an offering because it has to come from a willing heart. And he continues that to make sure that we know it's a willing heart. Let him bring it. Let the person who has that willing heart bring it. Don't chase him down. Don't make him sign a commitment letter. Don't give him a box of envelopes with numbers on it that say, (laughs) you know, a lot of us grew up with that. I did. And there's a compulsion there. And we can do that. And I can fall into that too sometimes, I'm sure. But what God wants is a willing heart. He wants us to be led of the Spirit. He wants us to be compelled by the Spirit. He wants us to be moved. And several times throughout this chapter, he's going to say, and those that were stirred, stirred by the Holy Spirit, they're just stirred. They weren't talked into it. They didn't have a red thermometer that they had to keep seeing if it was going to get marked off until they reached the level. That's the world. That's how the world does things. And it begins to create in us a grudging obligation. And we don't ever want that when it comes to offerings. Tithes, eh, that's not really in the New Testament. Tithes. Offerings are, and we'll read the scripture here. It says in Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That has to be the case. There's no other way to do it. And God doesn't want it any other way. You never want that compulsion. That's one of the reasons we don't pass a plate here. Um, I don't know that that makes us any better or worse. I don't think it does. But when the plate passes in front of people, inevitably, you know that there are eyes watching that plate. And you never want the person, as it passes in front of them, to think, I better do something so somebody can see me, you know. It really needs to be an act of worship. It needs to be a time between you and the Lord. It needs to be a private moment, you know. Um, And I don't know if the box is any more private. I think it's a little easier to walk by and kind of drop something in. So it is truly between you and the Lord and nobody else knows. But that's the idea behind not passing a plate or a bucket. Not everybody agrees with that. Nor is it sin to do that, by the way. Um, I don't think that's wrong. I mean, Paul... Uh, would ask him, hey, before I get there, make sure you pass the bucket before I get there and make sure that everybody gives what they said they were going to give. I mean, so that's in the New Testament, you know, so there's nothing wrong with that at all. We've just decided not to do that. And God's always been faithful to take care of us by stirring hearts and needs are always met, you know, and wants, not just needs, wants too. Uh, We've had, we've been blessed. Um, And so we see this in the Old Testament. This is not the tithe. This is something different than God's talking about here. I want an offering. Whoever has a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord of these specific things. These are the things we're going to need to build. Now, I'm sure he would have taken other things, but let's just make the list out there so they understand what we're asking for. What we need for the tabernacle are these things. And if you have that in your heart to give, great. That's great. We're going to need a lot of gold. We're going to need silver and bronze and purple and blue and scarlet thread. We're going to need a lot of thread. A lot of sewing going on. And the fine linen and the goats hair and the ram skins dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood. We're going to need all that. Oil for the lighting and everybody probably had a little bit more of something than the other, you know. I don't have any red badger skins, you know, or goat skins, but but I've got some acacia wood, you know. I can bring that. <coughs> Excuse me. I promise it's not COVID. It's just the cold I get every year. Um, um, and I don't have this, I don't have that, but I have others. And you get the point, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. And it'll work out just right so that everybody in the crowd can give something and it's going to be easy for them, you know. I don't think anybody got their MasterCard out and put themselves into debt, you know. They just had it. There it was sitting there, you know, and what a blessing. I want you to be a part of this. I want this from you from a willing heart. I want you to bring it. And here's what I'm asking for. Now, God doesn't need any of that. He's been the one providing them with quail and manna and all these, the water and the places and the defeating of their enemies. I mean, God is not short on supplies. He never has been, never will be. The Bible says he owns the cattle in a thousand hills. Well, That's a lot of cattle. He's never short, ever. And yet he wants us to participate. He wants us to take ownership. He wants us to be a part of the ministry. He doesn't need me to share the gospel, but he wants me to share the gospel. In the book of Revelation, we're going to see angels flying through the air, preaching the everlasting gospel. That's pretty effective, you know? We only need a couple guys on TV every Sunday that are solid and they can preach the gospel. And we could all stay home. And yet, that's not how he set it up. He wants us to all participate. I want you to minister to the people at work. I want you to minister to your family members. I want some participation on your part. In fact, so much so, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, he says. And he's going to give you gifts, and there's going to be fruit in your life of the Holy Spirit to the point where you're going to be able to do this. Now, some of you will be evangelists, some of you will be pastor-teachers, some of you will be this, that, or the other thing. You'll all have different gifts, just like this list we read. And you're going to do it, and you're going to be a part of it. I want you to bring those gifts. I want you to have a willing heart to use those gifts, but I want you to bring them. I'm not going to force it on you. Verse 10. All who were gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. And here are some of the things they're going to make. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and its poles, all its utensils, and the showbread. Also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door of the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, the screen for the gate of the court the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, their cords, the garments of uh, ministry for ministering in the holy place, and the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons uh, to minister as priests. Very specific list. It's another thing we can take away from this chapter. Yes, I want all these building materials. These are the things we're going to need. I need them to come with a willing heart, and I need you to bring them yourself. But also they're going to be used in this way. So don't be dropping off your gold and saying, I want it used this way. I want some special turtle doves made of gold, and I want them set up there, and I want my name on them. No, you can keep your gold. The gold's for a purpose. The silver's for a purpose. God's got a design. He's given Moses a blueprint. He wants him to do this ministry. He's a way he wants him to do it. There's a design. All I need you to do is show up with the stuff, and then these artisans, by the Holy Spirit, are going to be gifted to do this and make it just like I want. But but this is what we're doing. And so there's some hedging in a little bit in the ministry. There's some things we're not going to do, and there's some things we are going to do. When we first got started, I remember a conversation with an older gentleman that just came. We were, we were over by the post office in that little tiny place. We were so excited, $300 a month rent. Oh, boy, you know, how in the world are, is God going to cover that? We've been blessed ever since, but two tiny rooms for kids in the ministry, a bathroom that you had to turn sideways to get into the door, and it was a louvered door, that just a single louvered door that shut, you know. Well, he asked me at the end of a Wednesday night Bible study, knowing that we had received an offering that day and a tithe and had the box, and the guys were going to count whatever was in there, maybe 20 bucks or 50 bucks or something. He wanted to know if he had access to that money. Never even crossed my mind. I said, well, no. I mean, why? What are you going to use it for? He goes, well, I don't know what I'm going to use it for. I just want to know if the people have access to that money. No, you don't have access to that money. Because I don't know what you're going to use that money for. This is God's money. It's not for you to, to use, you know. It was the first time I had to get bold with somebody. I had to get up front with them. Well, I was just wondering. I just, I just like to know if I had access to it. What were you going to do with it? Well, I don't know. And I was blunt with him. I told him, well, here's some of the things I'm not going to give it to you for, and here's why, because I don't know if you're going to use it to hand out these on campus. And I had a whole list of things that were carnal and objectionable and horrible. I said, I don't know if you're going to use it. So no, you're not going to get God's money to do that. But if you want to use God's money within the sphere of influence that God has put on our hearts for this ministry, by all means, we'll delegate some of it to you to do the ministry, but not, you can't go beyond the scope of what God's called us to do here. We're teaching ministry. so what we're going to do. We're going to pay rent first. Because what good is it if we can't pay rent? I had to line that up for I had to kind of be, you know, bold. God loves all that. He loves the idea of stirring people's hearts to bring whatever it is that God has for him. But he also has a specific plan and purpose for the things that he's called for and asked for, you know. Well, I want to designate my funds for this. Well, that's not going to do any good if we can't turn the lights on. There's priorities, you know, there's things we've got to do. And so you can see him lay this out. I love this. I'm going to call gifted artisans, and they're going to be able to do all these things. Now, if you've ever told an artist, sometimes we have that problem with Anna, um, we'll get ideas. Jenny and I will get ideas. We're like, Anna, you want to make this? And she's like, "Eh." because she's artistic, you know. She can paint. She can do about anything. Uh, now, she'll do it. But it's like, ugh. Now, on the other hand, when she made a pinata for Bo that looks like the, the Fortnite, is it a llama or whatever? I'm like, you know you can buy those from Oriental Trading for like 20 bucks? And she got the cardboard and she cut it out and she made it depth and she hot glued it and she glued on every single piece of paper and it it looks like a rainbow all the way up and it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's kind of a pinata looking thing. That was on her heart. It's what she wanted to do. And I tell you, what, what was it? Two o'clock in the morning, you were done with it. You had some help from Evangeline, didn't she? Evangeline was a part of it. Now you helped a little. She's like, I was part of that too. All I'm saying is when it comes to an artisan who's filled with the Spirit and gifted to do these things, it's amazing that they're able to do what is asked of them with joy and with vision. That only comes from the Holy Spirit. You can't pick on artists like I just picked on Anna and say, I want you to make this. Why don't you make this? Well, because I'm not really excited. Now, if God told her to make it, oh boy, you could plan on it being amazing. And so that's the idea behind this. It's going to be really neat. Moses doesn't have the art, the art, artistic abilities that he needs, but these artisans do. And God's going to bring them to fill in these gaps, to do the things of this ministry right here, and it's going to be a great thing. We have a lot of gifted artisans in many ways at our church. We have gifted teachers. We have gifted audiovisual guys. Aaron's got an ear. He can hear things that I can't, and he can make it all sound right online and In this room at the same time, J.C. has the gift of music along with all the other musicians as well. Lots of gifts, and I I don't mean to cut anybody off. There's many of you that have gifts, and it's beautiful to see when it's on your heart to serve, to do for God, how beautiful it is and how perfect it is, how it all comes together. And that's what's happening here. So you can see the similarities between this chapter and our New Testament church and what God's designed for us. Now, and all the congregation, verse 20, of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, and every man with whom was found blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, red skins of rams, and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom or I'm sorry, everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands, and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx or sorry, and the and all the women whose rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and spices and oil for the light for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All of the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. Interesting. The ministry was commanded, but the materials for the ministry were a free will offering to bring that command to pass. What a beautiful combination of God's sovereignty and will on earth mixed with man's cooperation with their will. You know, it's often a debate in churches, God's will, free will. Well, it says right in the Bible, they had a free will offering. So that means we have free will. It's ours to have and ours to give and ours to keep. Several times throughout that passage that we just read, I know it was a long one. First, they were stirred, everyone whose spirit was willing. They were stirred by the Lord. They had that sense, this is me. It's not anybody else's responsibility. It's not theirs, mine, or, any, or or hers, or whatever. It's my responsibility. They felt that own stirring in their heart, and many of you have had that. We talk about being led of the Spirit, being moved by the Spirit. These are things we have to hone, these skills, this ability to hear our Father's voice within us, the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us in different directions with different things. And then obey those things. To not actually weigh the cost or figure out what the what the pros and the cons are. But if I heard his voice and he told me to do this, I I have to obey. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. I have to do what God's called me to do. That stirring is so important. And that obedience to that stirring is just as important. But you have to hear before you can obey. And they did. You'll get that sense. I need to go talk to that person or I need to do this, that, or the other thing. I don't, there's so many ways the Lord has stirred me in the past. I I don't have a list I can give you. Uh, Many opportunities missed, a lot of disobedience in my life. But there were times when I was obedient and what an amazing moment that was when I did what I was called to do at that time. And I look back on those times as just amazing memories. Oh, that was the Lord. Oh, that was so sweet. I didn't know then why he was doing what he was doing, but I was obedient to the call. And I find out this many years later, it was perfect. And if I hadn't done that, then this wouldn't be where it is today. You know, beautiful things. And so I've learned when I hear him, you know, you just, yes, sir. You know, jump, how high is the kind of thing. And I've never regretted those moments, never regretted those decisions. And so we need to have that. These gifts, um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, it describes some of the New Testament gifts that that Jesus himself gives out to the body of Christ. It says, He, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That was supposed to be read after verse 19, but I missed my cue to read that. I apologize. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit given to the body. He says there are diversities in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues or languages, to another, the interpretation of those tongues or languages. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. I don't get to say what my gifts are. I can earnestly desire the best gifts. That's the end of chapter 12 but I'm always supposed to leave that up into the hands of God. What gifts does he want me to have? He distributes. I can't make that happen in my life. And you'll discover what those gifts are and know it won't be through a questionnaire. You'll find yourself doing something and it's just natural to you. You don't know you have the gift to teach until you get up and try to teach and you can't. And someone tells you, that's okay. (laughs) That was bad, bad, huh? When I was first asked to teach, it just made me sick to my stomach. And I think I, I think I dodged it. I think I ditched it. I said I didn't feel well that night and called somebody else. And my pastor was like, why didn't you teach? I was like, ah, I just wasn't feeling well that night. And so I passed it off to somebody else, and they, they did it. He says, oh, I didn't get an opportunity for a long time after that. Later on, he asked me again, and I finally had up enough guts to do it, and I taught. And like three of the people in this small circle group Bible study said, man, I was great. I'm glad because it didn't sound great to me. You know, that kind of confirmation, though, although I didn't feel adequate, the confirmation come from the person receiving yeah, that you've got the gift to teach. And and then the pastor later on said, yeah, they said you're really good. And they said, yeah, the gift to teach confirmation came from. So I ran with that. So here I am. <laughs> I didn't try anything else. I just, OK, good. I got it. It wasn't a questionnaire. It was an opportunity. And I and I did it. There were other things that I tried to do as I was asked to do, and I don't do those things anymore because I don't have the gift to do those things, you know. I've tried to evangelize or be an evangelist, you know. You know, I, I do the work of an evangelist, we're called to do that as pastors, but to stand up and for the specific purpose of being an evangelist, zero hands every time. Zero people come forward. I had one moment with FCA, no not FCA, it was crew. Campus Crusade for Christ up on campus. I had one night. It was amazing. It was like he'd give me that gift just that one night, you know. It's never been the same since. You know, I've never been able to do that. But that was when I think we baptized 11 people in Colden Pond. I talk about that a lot because that's my, like, one time evangelism actually worked or God gave me that gift, and we baptized 11 people in February, you know. In Colden Pond, I was numb from the waist down. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and we baptized uh, 11 college students there but never since, you know, okay. But teaching, okay, that's something that I, I guess that's something that uh, that's permanent with me, but um, not evangelism. I'll do it when God calls me to or not. The point is, I'm just giving you my experience. Every one of us has gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every one of you do. None of us is meant to sit on the sidelines. It may be different. There's a gift of helps. Well, a lot of people don't think that that's a gift. Well, anybody can help. You'd be surprised. Not everybody can help. Not everybody that says they want to come alongside and do something actually helps. You know, um, that's a work of the Spirit when when that takes place and someone's just they can handle the situation from start to finish without asking questions and they can just go for it. You know, it's amazing. Some guys are like that. Some gals are like that. They can just run with it. Anyway. Those are gifts, and that's what we see taking place here. All these gifts of the people, all the stuff that they had in their their back rooms of their tents, you know, it's all coming together. It's all working really well. Now, these artisans who had hearts who were stirred, this stirring of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that's what I want to focus on here. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. It's not a phrase that we use that is supposed to be just remembered. Yeah, I need to be led of the Spirit more. If you're a son or daughter of God, you need to be led of the Spirit. That's how you know. That's one of the confirmations. The Spirit within me bears witness. And so when I feel that leading of the Holy Spirit to pull someone aside and say, God just told me to share this with you, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, um, something about a situation that I don't know anything about, but I just had this thought that I need to share this with you. I've got to do that, you know. I need to be led of the Spirit. I mean, this is a powerful verse. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. It's 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 automatic. It's 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 implied. It's I don't have the right words for it, but. When you become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you you need to be led of the Spirit. That's not optional. Now, there's a short version, Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's the short version. I also have the long version to see if I have time, and I don't know that I do. But it's 16 through 26, so you can read that on your own if you want. I've only got five minutes left or so. So I don't want to spend too much time on it. But it describes what it is to walk in the Spirit. That whole chapter, that whole section that I just read, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, describes what it looks like to walk in the flesh and what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. This last Sunday I was walking in the Spirit as I was teaching. But as soon as I walk down from these steps, and as soon as I'm done praying with people, it's often too often I get in the flesh and I did last night or that last Sunday with these guys at the sound booth. They wanted to have a little meeting with me and talk to me about some things they wanted to do. Um, We need to get together and get some direction and all that. And I kind of, I was just in the flesh. I was tired. I was sick. I was done. And I kind of laid into them a little bit, well, a lot actually. And I shouldn't have. And I had to apologize later and say, I'm a fleshy guy. Welcome to my world. You know, I'm sorry that you got to reap that benefit. And so when I read these chapters and I get prepared for that, knowing this about myself, I need to recognize what's of the spirit and what's of the flesh. What's godly edification or um, godly righteous indignation, you know, versus, no, you're just in the flesh, you know. And this chapter, I probably should have just read it by now. check that off selfish ambitions dissensions heresies envy murders drunkenness revelries and the like of which i tell you beforehand just as i also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of he- kingdom of god that's the flesh any of those things i can't ever be doing those things and say that's kind of the spirit no it's not i'm absolutely in the flesh but the fruit of the spirit is love joy Peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control, and against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have been have crucified the flesh, those other things, with its passions and desires, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Walk in the spirit. The fruit of the spirit should be evident in my life. I know a lot of people talk about gifts tongues and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm all for gifts. I don't want to hear one of your gifts without the fruit first. That's what chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. I don't care if you can speak in tongues because if you don't have love, you're a resounding gong. You're nothing if you can operate gifts in the flesh. The Corinthian church was known for that. You've got to have the fruit of the Spirit first, then operate those gifts of the Spirit in that love. So vital, so important. Now, John 4, 23, 24 last cross-reference, and then we finish up. Well, it's like God made the clock go backwards. I still have four minutes. That's awesome. Thank you. But the hour is coming, and now is, Jesus says to the whole, all the disciples, anybody listening, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him, God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Not only is he seeking that, he expects it. There is no other way to worship God except in spirit and in truth. You can't do it. You can't do it. All right, now let's finish up. Verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name um, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of... Her of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work at gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for settings and carving wood and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Now I want to pause there for a minute to say that's what he's been gifted to do. That doesn't mean he's going to do everything. Because the very next paragraph says, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach. The ability to teach other people to do all those things that God's called him to do. Now, I'm just a practical guy. Why? If you're the God who gave this guy all these gifts, why not spread them out? Just give him the jewel cutting gift and give that guy the carpentry gift, and give this guy. What's the point of bestowing all of this upon one guy to teach other people how to do all this stuff when you can just hand this stuff out anyway by dump it all into one vessel and then have him spill out into all these other people? It just gives us a glimpse into God's character and what he desires for us. I want you to be a part of other people's lives. I want you to be invested in them. I want you to use that gift. I want you to be able to share That's what I do. I mean, that's how beautiful he is. I can do all these things. I want you to be able to do all these things too. I can bestow gifts. So here, I'm going to give you everything. And I want you to bestow gifts upon other people and teach them how to do that. That's That's an amazing thing. How did you learn how to do all your carpentry stuff? I knew you were. I could. I'd, that's the Holy Spirit right there. Sonny Durr, Greg Durr's son, was here for a while. Good handyman. Learned himself from a, a good craftsman out in California. Came back for a season and took you under his wing and taught you. And you're off and running now. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. Just call him that from now on. Hello, business. L, <laughs> He wants us to do that. He wants us to share those gifts with each other and to be a part that's so connected. Because um, it produces in you thanksgiving, doesn't it? It's like, man, I'm so thankful. You know, I'm so thankful for that guy, for that person, that mentor, that person who took the time to invest in me. You know, God wants that relationship with us. And so he's given this guy all these gifts and these abilities and the ability to teach in him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, uh, <laughs> of the tribe of Dan, he has filled him with the skill to do all manner of work, of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker, of blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. And he's bringing in the whole gang. I want everybody to be a part of this. I want them to all walk into the tabernacle and know that it's, the, it's theirs. They're not a guest, you know? I don't want the tent to be a guest place. This is a place where we worship God. And that might have been the gold on that socket or that silver sockets, I guess. But that might have been the gold over there that I donated. Or that might have been the silver and the sockets that I, that acacia wood that's been overlaid with gold. That came out of, that was out of my tent, you know. It's all us. It's us, you know. And now when you go to the New Testament, which I'm not going to do, you're like, And you tell, he tells us that we're living stones being put together to build up his church. A Holy Spirit dwells in us, the body of Christ. And we're not all eyes and we're not all hands. You can see how he's pulling this all together for us to see that Old Testament chapter 35 is the same picture he's trying to give us and an understanding for us of the church, of the body of Christ, to bring our gifts, to take ownership, to be a part of it. So I did that. And that was my thing. That was a part of that. And this isn't, a, I'm not a guest here at Calvary Chapel. You know, unfortunately, I can see some of my drywall seams out there. I'm a, not a good mudder. Can't do it. Like, so I can spot them. The one, go out these doors and look back up towards this entrance right here. And he, that's my job right there that I did. And every time I want to come in and just fill it in and fix it, and I don't, I leave it there and say, that's why you don't do mud, you know? And you let somebody else is gifted is a perfect reminder of that. Anyway, with a crazy day that we had, and tomorrow's probably going to be a little bit crazier, who knows, know this stuff. Know Him. You know, um, you've been designed, you've been brought to life by God through His breath for a purpose. You've been given gifts by Him as a, as a human being made in the image of God, crafted in His image. You are designed to reflect Him on earth. And I, I pray that you thoroughly enjoy that. One of the scriptures I didn't share was what Paul had said. It actually came up today as I was thinking about it. Paul was describing all the hardships and how the Holy Spirit in every town is telling him that he's going to go bound and chained and has no idea what awaits him in Jerusalem, except I want to finish my race with joy. So all the trials and tribulations that were waiting Paul as he was moving towards Rome and Jerusalem and all that stuff, he says, the Holy Spirit's telling me it's going to be horrible, but I want to finish with joy. The hardship makes no difference when it comes to my joy. Joy is something I take with me regardless of the circumstances around me. That's the joy of the Lord, okay? Be encouraged. Um, Walk boldly tomorrow for Jesus. Share him. Remember, everything's going to be pulled away from us bit by bit, piece by piece, until all we have is that rock that we're standing upon, and it's enough. It's enough. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have this confidence in you. Um, We can boldly proclaim your truth, your grace, your love, because we know it to be true for us, and we know that your word says it's for others also. So, Lord, help us to share it with uh, confidence, Lord, knowing that they definitely need you. Whether they know they need you or not, we know they definitely do. And uh, help us to, by your Holy Spirit, give us the gifts necessary to articulate that love that truth by your spirit to those people in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.